Good morning. I'm Shelly McCormick, I'm a member here. For those of you who have not been here before, um, I'm not someone who regularly speaks here, I'm just a member, and if you are not, um, um, if what I say doesn't um, awaken something in you or doesn't inspire you or something, it's okay, it really is. Come back next week, we have a regular speakers coming. Um, so. Um, I'm actually a software tester. I'm, I'm, uh, that's my career for the last 20 years or so. I worked for Tractor Supply for about the last eight, seven and a half years. Um, so when um, Jill asked if I would speak today, um, since we didn't have a regular speaker, I said sure. And there's this thing that's been bouncing around in my head for a while. And I knew that um, that I wouldn't be able to write about anything else until I got this thing out. And I didn't have time to write two talks for this week, so you get this one. Um, be Not Afraid, Reflections on Fear. Now, as I said, some of you might walk away from this thinking, well, thanks, Captain Obvious. Um, there might be a few of you who have a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth because I do take a, some Bible verses out of context. Um, some of you might not think that what I'm suggesting is even possible. So that's all, that's okay. Um, my hope is that there might be some of you who might find some food for thought in this, something to reflect on and think about your relationship with fear. Um, and there may be some context, some, some situations where you might find a different perspective to be helpful or useful. So it's come up um, a few times in talkback since we've been back for the, gosh, it's been almost a year we've been back in person. That's, that's pretty amazing right there. Um, who would have thought? Uh, but it's come up in talkbacks that um, how much fear is being used to sow hatred and to, to foment division. Um, it's been weaponized, and that's not unilateral. It's not just the other side um, who's doing it. As my, my son-in-law <laughs> likes to say, every time we have any kind of discussion that touches on political things, uh, he says he's middle of the road. I say, no, you're middle of the conservative road, but you have a point. <laughs> so, um, and he is right, it is on both sides. Weaponization of fear is not a new thing. Um, it's actually quite quite established in human history, I think, but the relentlessness of it that we've had, the expansion of it with social media, with streaming news, with everybody who wants a platform having a platform. Um, you know, anybody, I said this um, some time back, anybody with an iPhone and 40 bucks for GoDaddy can set up a website and call themselves a journalist. So it's not a new thing, but it's, it's really unprecedented how much we've been drowning in it for the last five plus years. Uh, Rachel Rogers, who is one of our regular speakers, and I encourage those of you who haven't seen her, um, if you get a chance, come, come when she's here. Um, she said recently, our society is fraught with fear and anger. Um, and that really, that sat with me for a while, and it's still, Kind of sitting there. Um, one of my favorite, 
um, people I guide my life by, Yoda, um, <laughs> said, uh, I was 14 when Star Wars came out. And that was like a transformative couple of hours of my life when we saw that in the theater. Going to the theater in and of itself for my family was a big event. Doing it with the cousin I mentioned, we're going to see the, the thing this afternoon. She was like six at the time. And she went and aunts and uncles went. No, it, was, it was wonderful. Anyways, Yoda said, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate and hate leads to suffering. Hmm. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. How much anger are we seeing that's leading to hate and suffering now in our conversations, in our news, in our reactions to public policy, in our day-to-day -day communications, in the day-to-day -day communications we may over here and choose not to participate in. Um, my partner works sometimes with very conservative people and he just, just be quiet, just don't engage. Um, but how much of this, all this anger and this hate is actually fueled by fear? So I read a, I read a little bit about fear and I, I started gathering you know, facts about the amygdala and the hippocampus and, and all the things in the fight, flight, or freeze um, and, um, and then I decided you can, you can Google all that if you're interested in the mechanics of it. Um, the mechanics of fear, what it does to your brain, how phobias develop, uh, physical responses that may help you survive or may have helped your ancestors survive that are not very helpful in today's world. Um, in a nutshell, though, in the course of human evolution, People who were afraid of the right things survived, and they passed some of those tendencies to fear the right things down. And gradually, you know, over millennia, we evolved to fear spiders, snakes, um, you know. Um. Evolution hasn't caught up with technology, though. We're still fearing those kind of those hippocampus, amygdala kind of lizard brain things. And what we're being bombarded with is not that. We're primed for fear. Humans need fear. We are evolved to have fear. Um, and since we are predisposed to that, and as we've heard nature abhors a vacuum, something's going to fill it. Um, and if we're not careful, somebody else will fill it for us. Uh, the, uh, some of you, uh, this is an old musical, so I don't know how many have actually seen it. Uh, Burgess Meredith did the movie uh, Music Man. I'm not going to do it half as well as he does, and I'm not going to sing it, but it's about a pool table. He's a con man trying to get people to be afraid. A pool table, don't you understand? Friends, you're either closing your eyes to a situation you do not wish to acknowledge, or you are not aware of the caliber of disaster indicated by the presence of a pool table in your community. Well, you got trouble, my friend. Right here I say trouble in River City. You ever, you've probably heard the expression trouble in River City. That's where that came from. Um, we also heard from FDR in almost 100, like 90 years ago. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself, nameless, 
unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Um, much more recently, we heard someone uh, in the same office or aspiring to the same office say, be afraid, be very afraid. Two politicians at the highest levels in this country using the same different sides of the same coin to manipulate one of our most primal instincts. And it, it worked. Both cases, it worked. Um, whether it worked for the good or for the evil depends on your point of view, but you cannot deny that it works. So I heard, and I wish I had, I was in my car. I listened to NPR in the car. And so when something interesting comes on, I'm like, I don't have a pencil. I don't have a paper. I can't write down that person's name. I'm going to try and go back later and look it up. And in this case, I couldn't find it. So um, this, this is hearsay. <laughs> but I heard an interview, and they were talking about anxiety and the idea that it's an evolutionary advantage for about 10% of any group of humans to have that heightened awareness and that heightened alertness and that little heightened reaction to potential threats. Um, I would like to thank biology for making me part of that 10%. Um, I have to talk myself down on a regular basis. Um, in fact, public speaking used to be, uh, as with many of you, I'm sure, um, I was terrified of public speaking. But when I was asked to do a presentation at work, I was more terrified of saying no to my boss. So that's how I started. Um, that was many years ago, and I've gotten a little more comfortable with it since then. Um, I've developed kind of a, a, an uneasy, not alliance per se, but a relationship with fear. I agreed with my fears that I would pay attention to what they were telling me, and then they would be quiet. So we, we kind of coexist in that world. Um, and really, for someone who really doesn't have much to be afraid of in reality, I have a stable home. I have a steady income. I have, um, you know, I, I never go hungry, clearly. Um, I, I don't, I'm not in a war zone. I'm not in any marginalized group that has to walk the streets afraid. For someone with that little, real, you know, threats in my life, I spend a lot of energy trying not to be afraid. Um, now, so the relevance of this, this 10% in evolution, that meant maybe five people in a group, maybe 10 people in a group. Now we're talking a country with 330 million people, 30 million people walking around like me, waiting for something to happen, waiting for something to go wrong, waiting for some danger to present. Um, that's 30 million people that can, can be swung fairly easily with the right triggers of fear. Um, more than 10%, the theory went, stressed the group. Um, less than 10% uh, exposed the group to more danger. So that would have been an advantage uh, for most of the 200,000 years of human evolution since our, our modern brain um, evolved. Uh, most of that time, we lived in what they call an immediate return environment where if you're hungry, you eat, you're not hungry. If you are attacked, you defend, and you're either safe or you're dead. It's immediate 
return environment. Now, the last 500,000, maybe, maybe more um, years, we are growing more and more into a delayed return environment where the things that threaten us now, we can't defend against now. We have to plan for the future. Um, and that's a constant level of stress for a lot of people. And that's a lot of fear for a lot of people. Um, and if we, we, we have those impulses of fear, but we can't find something to tag them to, we'll either find something. I'm really good at that, by the way. Need help with that? Um, we'll either find something or someone will find something for us. So, um, the title of this talk, Be Not Afraid. Um, many of you have heard it, I'm sure, Isaiah, many other parts of the Bible. Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 9. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Since my background is in a Protestant church, very liberal community, um, I don't have a lot of the baggage that can come with a very strict religious upbringing. And I am happy to cherry pick the heck out of the Bible. And I have no guilt and no remorse over that at all. Um, I find a lot of wisdom, a lot of beauty, a lot of good rules to live by. Um, and my moral compass is very heavily influenced by the stories Jesus told. Um, I did a talk at several years ago on the Good Samaritan, and, if, and I would be happy to do it again because it is really one of my favorite uh, things. So, fear not, neither be dismayed. It's from Deuteronomy, chapter 31, verse 8. Um, of course, most of the time when the Bible says, don't be afraid, it's saying, it, it also says, or it implies, don't be afraid because God is with you. So I, I'm cherry picking, I'm leaving that part out. I'm an atheist, I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, so um, you, can, you can leave it in if you're not, that's fine too. Um, not that you need my permission, but <laughs> the, yeah, the, the, um, there's no shame in cherry picking, honestly. Um, but I like to think that all of those times it's mentioned, it's mentioned like over a hundred times throughout the Bible, you know, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And I, I started to feel like on some level, the people who were telling those stories had some underlying realization, even if they didn't spell it out or, or really recognize it themselves, on some level, they were realizing that fear is not protecting us in the way that we needed to it to years before, you know, centuries before, millennia before, when we were pretty much at the same level as the rest of the food chain. You know, we're at a different level now. There is, um, there's some idea I found in there, whether or not it is real or not, but I found the idea there that we need to evolve away from having fear be the primary driver of our immediate decisions. Clearly, there are times and places where you need to react and fear is gonna drive that. But to have an automatic fear response to situations that maybe don't warrant it, or that do warrant it but don't need an immediate reaction. And that's where I'm kind of pulling it back into this political discourse, public policy kind of interactions with people who don't think like us. We don't necessarily need to have an immediate reaction of fear to what they're saying. And maybe if we evolve past that, 
we can start to think about what's driving their fear. As I was reflecting on this, I started to think about that. Um, this, the one of our songs, the loving kindness meditation, starts with, may I be well, may I be whole. And then it expands, may we be, may you be well, the people I'm with, may you be well, may you be whole. And then we, the community, and expanding that not just to our community, but to the greater community, to Murfreesboro, to Rutherford County, to um, you know, Tennessee, the United States, the world, the universe. The further out we go, the harder that is to wish people well and wish them whole. Um, it's hard to have goodwill towards someone that I'm afraid of. As Yoda said, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. But what would it be like if I knew what they were afraid of? Um, we all know what it's like to be afraid. We all fear something. Some of us fear a lot of things. What, if, what would it be like if we could look at someone on the other side of the aisle and know what fear is driving them to do and say the things that they are doing and saying. Uncertainty is a huge component of fear. What would it be like if we could develop an understanding of what they're afraid of? And if we really understood what we're afraid of, what if we could do a root cause analysis? Anybody in engineering actually done root cause analysis? Um, yeah, yeah, uh, the five whys. Um, it's, it's a technique of root cause analysis. It was developed in Japan. Um, Toyota, the guy, uh, Taichi Ono at Toyota, did a lot of quality improvement. He um, captured this methodology called the five whys. And now you're going to get a lesson in software testing because we use this. Um, basically, you start with a problem and you ask why it happened. And whatever the answer was, it's also kind of like a five-year-old asking questions. Whatever the answer is, you ask, and why is that? And you keep questioning the answers. Um, I'm sure that, uh, that uh, Mr. Ono had some UU tendencies with that. Just keep asking questions. And there's a common example that's used to illustrate this process. We start with the problem, my car won't start. Why? The first level of why. The battery is dead. If I stop there, I'm going to go get a new battery. Why is the battery dead? The alternator's not functioning. Ooh, new battery is maybe going to help for, you know, get me out of the driveway, but the alternator is not functioning. So I could replace the alternator, but why? Why is the alternator not functioning? The belt is broken. That's my third level. Uh, okay, I can replace the belt, uh, but why did it break? Why did the alternator belt break? It was beyond its useful service life, but it wasn't replaced. Okay, I'm gonna go replace my alternator belt now. There's still another level, and you can actually go to infinity just about asking why. Ask any five-year-old, they'll do it for you. The fifth level of this problem, why? The vehicle was not maintained according to the service schedule. So the root cause of my 
car not starting today is because I didn't follow the service manual maintaining it. Now, what does all this have to do with fear and politics and, and being afraid? Um, the idea in this is that if you, you get to that fifth level, you dig deep enough. That's why they call it root cause analysis. What is the root of the problem? Um, you'll get the answer not only to the immediate problem, replace the battery, but you'll find the solution to preventing it from happening again. If you stop at the first answer, you're gonna be buying a lot of batteries. So what if we could use this technique on fear? What if we found that that answer at that fifth level was the same for me as it is for my cousin, who I love dearly, her husband, who I also love dearly, but from a little bit further away. Um, what, I, I don't know if there's a word that's the opposite of schadenfreude, which is taking joy in the misfortune of people we don't like. What would it be like if I could take joy in the fortune, the good fortune of people that I really don't like or even despise? at least the good fortune that doesn't come at someone else's expense. What would it be like if I could pra really practice that loving kindness and really get past my fears of what the world's coming to? What if I could actively wish wellness and joy to no woke Pembroke, who is running for Williamson County School Board? And that's no joke. No woke is actually on his campaign signs. Um, what would it be like if you could just assume that if someone did something harmful, that the root cause was fear, even if you can't relate to what they're afraid of, their immediate fear, even if you think their immediate fear is ridiculous, what if you could set that aside and go deep down and really get to the root of their fear and what if you realize that it's based on the same things that you're afraid of? Maybe it's based on something we're all hardwired to be afraid of. And I wanna, I wanna say really emphatically, this is not about forgiveness and this is not about letting people just trample over other people's rights or that we should just all sit around the campfire and be friends together. Um, I have a whole other talk on forgiveness. This is not about that. But maybe it's a little bit about compassion. Um, maybe it is just trying to find a way to practice widening that loving kindness circle of we just a little bit. Um, maybe it's, it's letting go of a little bit of that fear and leaving room, watching that hate drift away and watching that leave room for connection and for dialogue. Not gonna work all the time, but what if it worked sometimes? And it's not gonna work for everyone, but what if it worked for someone? What would that be like? What, what would that be like? And we can talk about that in Talk Back after the service. Thank you.